And I think that anybody that has a current job, if they have two days off, it's going to be hard at first, of course. But you can work those other two days. You don't need them off if you have the drive and motivation to do it. And you could easily start another company or a painting company. Joshua Douglas started his painting business, A Painter's Touch, so he could spend more time with his family. He's now grown to five full crews across multiple locations and a revenue of $125,000 to $150,000 a month, and is one of the highest rated companies in Central Florida. I'm Alex Freeman, and today on the Upflip Podcast, I'm talking to Joshua about how to start a painting business with this kind of growth potential. He'll share how he built systems that let a painter's touch be attentive and responsive to customers with fast one to two day estimates and a crew of reliable, skilled painters. Along with his other advice for starting and growing a painting business, let's dive into this conversation. Joshua, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alex, for having me. Appreciate you. So to get things started, when did you start A Painter's Touch and what was your background before you started the company? Yeah, so uh, it's been like seven years now. Started uh, May 2015. Prior, I was working offshore uh, in the Gulf of Mexico on boats and uh, BSPs, oil rigs, uh, washing for whales, dolphins, and sea turtles as a marine mammal observer. Uh, I was working five weeks on, five weeks off at the time, and it was a great gig, of course, but you know, I was away from everyone, all my friends and families for five weeks at a time. So I decided one day that I didn't really want to spend half my life working offshore. So that's when I really decided to start my painting company. What were those initial startup costs for you? Is this the kind of business that someone can start with a smaller initial investment? Yeah, it actually really is, especially if you already have a truck or a, a van or any vehicle that can carry a ladder. I didn't have a truck, so I did have to get a truck, and I got a good uh, price from one of my friends that was selling it for, you know, like two thousand dollars. That truck we actually went on to call Old Faithful because we had it for multiple years and was always faithful to us. But you know, you need a truck, you need some ladders, rollers, drop cloths, and a brush. You can really only start with those couple main things with the rollers, brush, drop cloths, and you don't even need a paint sprayer. Obviously, you know, once you work up and you get some more money, you can you can get a paint sprayer. I purchased my first paint sprayer. It was only $950 and it was still a good medium, you know, good quality paint sprayer. The entire cost up uh, startup for me probably was around four to $6,000, but I did get everything all at once. For other people, they can start out with just a brush or roller and some ladders and, uh, and a truck and be just fine. If someone did want to kind of start like you did with with all of the gear kind of right from the beginning, do you have any recommendations for how they might finance that? Like, how did you finance it? Was it all cash savings? And are there options if they don't have cash savings? Well, I was fortunate enough to be able to save up, uh, you know, since I was working a job offshore where, you know, I made okay money. It wasn't great money, but it was okay money. So I was able to, you know, put some aside and save up so I could purchase everything at once. There are other options for people that aren't as fortunate as I was. If you go get a Sherwin Williams account, as long as you start a painting business and you're licensed and insured, you can open up a uh, Sherwin Williams account and you can actually finance paint sprayers and pressure washers and all the equipment. And they don't they don't really charge you any interest as long as you're making your payments over time. So uh, that's a really good way that you could start. Obviously, you'd have to be qualified 
for it. But usually as long as you have a business, a painting business and, uh, you know, you talk to a Sherman Williams rep, they are very happy to help and assist you. And then how long after starting the business were you still working your, your offshore job and getting the painting business going? How long were you doing the, the two job thing? I would say that was probably around like six to eight months. The thing about mine was really hectic part of my life because I was working five weeks on. And then when I was coming back, I'd have jobs already lined up because I was doing all the marketing and advertising and trying to uh, get the jobs so I could compensate, uh, you know, from my regular pay in hopes to be able to quit working offshore. Uh, so but I would say about six to eight months and that was working full time offshore. And then when I'm getting coming back, working full time uh, to start building up my company name and reputation so I could eventually switch switch over. And I think that anybody that has a current job, if they have two days off, it's going to be hard at first, of course, but you can work those other two days. You don't need them off if you have the drive and motivation to do it and you could easily start another company or a painting company. What was the most difficult part of, of getting the painting business started and what advice would you give to a new business owner to prepare for that challenge? The most difficult part of uh, starting the business was probably getting the jobs. At the beginning, you don't have a company reputation. People don't know who you are or who your company is. But I would hand out my cards to like everyone I talked to. I would talk to random people everywhere I go, You know, pitch my company, pitch myself, going to networking events. Uh, there's networking events. Uh, there's an app called Meetup, and they have networking events all over the app that you can join for business. And that's a really good way to get in front of people and have other people market for you because that is really the essence of those uh, events is to go out and you try to help other people get jobs and they also find out who you are and then they start marketing for you to everyone that they know. So networking meetings really helped me get jobs in the beginning, you know, and also going out to people that are your affiliates, that's going to refer you jobs and start putting your name out there, like realtors. Uh, for, for me, it would be realtors, restoration companies, drywall companies that don't do painting, stucco companies that don't do painting, and you know pressure washing companies as well. Uh, another good place to go for new people or anybody really in industry would be go to Sherwin-Williams. Everyone that goes to Sherwin-Williams, all homeowners, they always ask, hey, do you know a good painter? They're not trying to do it themselves. And uh, you can actually get a lot of referrals if you get your name out to people inside of Sherwin-Williams. I want to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit towards uh, revenues. Uh, so to kind of start that, what what is the typical monthly revenue that you're seeing today? And what are the profit margins on that typically? Yeah, I mean, for every every business, obviously, it's going to vary. For mine specifically, I'm probably profiting around 20 to 25 a month. You know, obviously, it can vary from month to month. Uh, and that would be after paying, you know, all my crews, all the labor, and everything else that's involved with running the company. Um, so that's probably where I am right now, obviously starting up. You know, it might not be like that, but if you work super hard and you're very passionate about what you're doing, I don't see how anyone couldn't reach what I'm, the potential where I am. And then how does how does your revenue break down between residential and commercial? We're more residential leaning. We do do commercial work. I would say it's a, probably an 80-20 split. So 80% residential, 20% commercial. Residentials are usually a little bit more higher profit payout than commercial. You know, commercials 
have some downsides, but they also have some upsides. Commercial downsides is that it takes a long time to get paid. You usually have to front out a lot of money and pay all your guys, all the paint, uh, paint supplies, everything. And sometimes they have net 30s and you don't get paid or net 60s. And sometimes it goes even past that after you finish a job. The upside with commercial work is that a lot of times they're really big projects. So instead of having to get 10 residential projects on the board, you just get one commercial project and then you have a, a crew or two crews completely biz, uh, busy for a long time. But for us right now, it's about 80-20. 80, 80, Quick note for our listeners, uh, don't forget to head over to the Uplift YouTube channel after you listen to this episode for more advice from real-world business founders and owners. You can find that at youtube.com slash Upflip. Joshua, can you also talk about, is there seasonality to the revenues for a painting business or is it pretty consistent throughout the year? No, there is. There definitely is. Usually we have a little downside and it's always pretty consistent. It, usually a little downside, like right Right now, actually, uh, you know, at end of August, going to September a little bit, we pick back up for people that are wanting to get their houses painted before the holidays. But then as soon as the holidays roll roll around, you can just definitely see a huge decrease in jobs coming in and people looking for work as soon as middle to end of January. Always. It's every single year. Boom. We are slammed again. So there's definitely busy seasons and there's definitely slow seasons, but the slow season isn't that long usually, but it's usually right around the holidays. Uh, you know, people aren't trying to spend money. They have Thanksgiving, birthdays, uh, they, they have Christmas coming up, uh, New Year's. Uh, so, and then they're having family, family in town. So that also, they're like, oh, well, I don't want to have painting done while family's in town visiting. So definitely the slow season would be coming up right now is upon us uh, until the end of the year. And then, uh, you know, end of January, early February, everybody's going crazy with work. Is there anything that you, you do during the slow periods to either set yourself up for success when it does get busy again, or to, to kind of keep the momentum of the company growing even as the the demand has temporarily diminished. Yeah, looking more jobs and you know keeping your crew's calendars filled is obviously going to be your number one priority during these times. You know, you can try to lower your prices a little bit to get more jobs and also, you know, just keep in mind the bigger the job, the more time you'll be able to keep a whole crew's calendar booked. So if you are uh, bidding on higher projects, just make keep that in mind. And because uh, you do want those bigger jobs to keep your whole crew busy. If you can't keep your crew busy, most of the time, they're not going to stick around if you don't have any work for them. Marketing, networking in these times will, should just go straight back to when you first started your company and start marketing, networking. There's always something you can do. So if you're busy and you're always slammed from sun up to sundown and you don't have time to network and market, well, you don't need to because you're already slammed. But if you start slowing down, you don't have anything to do. You can always go uh, open up, meet up and see where the next business uh, networking event is. You can always go bring your affiliates cookies and, you know, keep your company at the top of their minds. So they keep knowing to refer, re refer you. Go hand out uh, cards or put yard signs, uh, you know, around town. So there's always something that you can do that's definitely crucial when you're in slow season, especially if you don't have jobs on the board. I want to ask you about some of the systems that you have in place now. So let's start with booking customers and providing estimates. What systems are you using to handle that? Yeah, so I have an estimating software program. 
it doesn't do the estimating for you. So, but uh, it's called Joist, and I've had it ever since I uh, first started the company, and it's just been great. Very easy to estimate, then transfer them over to invoices once they're done. Line items. Uh, there's other programs out there, but I'm very comfortable with using Joist, and it's worked for me for seven plus years uh, that I've been business business. So I always go by, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But I, I, I did, I did create a system also that's helped me out a lot. Yeah. Tell us about, about that system and, and how it has helped you. I created a system during COVID actually. I got COVID, did a four week quarantine, got another test. Then it took six weeks for them to get back to me and it was still positive. So I didn't want to go into anybody's house. I go into a lot of elderly people's houses. So I wanted to make sure I got another COVID test. Needless to say, that took another seven weeks to get back. So I was quarantined for over three months before I got a test back that said that I was that was negative. So I had to do something to quote these jobs that I was that were coming in day and night. So basically what I did was I started seeing how I was quoting these houses and how they matched up to prices per square foot of the house under air for painting the exterior. And then I came up with prices per square foot, per linear foot of baseboards, per door, per door jam, for a straight drywall patch price. Every single thing that you can think of, I have a way to estimate it online, as long as there's pictures. In most homes in Florida, they've been sold at least once or five times. So there's always pictures and, uh, you know, in the square footage right there. So I created like a six page Word document with pricing for every single thing in verbiage. So it's very easy for me to copy and paste into the estimating software program. So I don't have to rewrite all these estimates. So I can actually sit down and I can write up an estimate in less than four minutes while I'm on the phone with a customer that just called me if I am in front of my computer at the time. And then I can go over everything with them, give them all the numbers uh, without even having to get off the phone with them and call them back. So definitely a good way to do that is to try to do what I did and find ways that you that you can estimate on the phone on the computer without having to go cuz I have been I've saved so many hours where I can actually put my time now into other things other marketing and doing other things that are vital than just to running around central florida every day and all day you know meeting and doing estimates what other uh, systems or processes do you have in place to to manage your own workflow and to manage your teams? The teams, really, I have everybody a calendar. So that's probably the best. I have everyone a calendar. And I once I get uh, a job, I put them in a calendar. And I have their calendar all booked out. And it says if it's an exterior, if it's an interior painting, if it's a cabinet job, it's a paper ceiling job. And so every crew knows what they're going to be doing the next day the following day, uh, what to expect and, and all of that. So that's a really good way is just to keep everybody up to date and, and have a good calendar where everybody can look at and see. Now you mentioned, uh, networking and referrals earlier in the, in the podcast, but as you were getting started, how did you land those first few customers? What marketing strategies did you use and, and how did you convince people to take to be the first to take that that chance with you the first couple jobs i had were via friends and family and referrals from friends and family you would definitely be surprised if you keep up to date with everybody and just keep like everyone that you know and say hey like 
I'm starting this, you know, if you know anybody, people will be really excited to try to help you succeed and also going to the networking events and doing that kind of stuff. But the first couple of jobs were definitely friends and friends and then uh, friends of friends. And then they would refer me to somebody because I did a good job and so on and so on. If you get a couple of jobs and you do a really good job, people are really wanting to refer you to other people that they know. I would just say definitely reach out to everyone you know, let them know, show enthusiasm, get them excited for you, and then they'll be more motivated to go out there and market for you. And instead of you just doing it alone, you're actually going into business with other people marketing and helping you find jobs. What is your average marketing spend today? Like what kind of systems are you using to to advertise the company and, and what are you paying for? I would probably say between one one and two thousand a month of advertising. That also includes like materials like business cards, flyers, you know. I think the number one way thing that you can do is you can wrap or letter your vehicles. It's a one-time fee and you're advertising everywhere and anywhere you go for the life of the vehicle or for the life of the company. So that is probably the best ROI that I can think of to do. But other ways that we do it is, uh, you know, company shirts, company hats. If they're getting old, nasty, make sure that you're getting your crews or you and your guys new company shirts. That's always good for advertising, yard signs, like I said before. And we also do boosts a lot, uh, at least twice a month on Google and Facebook. Uh, if we finish a project, we'll write up a nice uh, thing about the project and with before and after photos, and we'll boost it on on Facebook and you know put like one to three hundred dollars in it, uh, and then that really does reach a lot of people in your area. And then just the flip side of that question: What have you tried and realized? Oh, this this doesn't work for our type of company. Um, yeah, I have so a maybe couple. is it worth the money? I have a couple that I would stay away from, and this is just me. It just hasn't worked for me, and I've tried two, maybe three of them, like two or three times each. Magazines, in my opinion. I've spent a couple thousand dollars on magazines. I've never even got a call from a magazine. And I ask everybody, how did you hear about us? Because you want to know, okay, well, how do you hear about us? What's working? What's not working? Okay. Never got a call from a magazine. I'm in Florida. We get calls all the time. They want us to be in their golf club brochures. I've done it twice. Nothing. So stay away from that. One thing that I was really excited about, and I did it three times. I just couldn't understand why it wasn't working, but it didn't work. And I didn't, I, and I'm not going to do it a fourth time if it didn't work at all. But realtor handout books for their sellers. I've been in some realtor handout books, and after they close on a home, when they give them a huge packet, and we're in like the right hand corner of that packet. But I didn't get any any calls off of that either. So those are probably the three that I would stay away from, from my personal experience. You also get a ton of customer reviews online. You're currently the number one painting business on Google in your area. Do you do anything specific to encourage customer reviews or has it been really organically driven? Oh, no, no I have I have a couple strategies for obtaining reviews. Uh, you know, reviews can be really hard to get, especially if you do an amazing job and the customer is super happy with you and your crew and the work that's been completed. You'll ask them for a review at the end of the uh, at end of the job and they'll be like oh yeah of course we'll leave a review absolutely once we get a second we'll we'll um, get around to it we will and then we wait we never get a review you know and i've talked to many people that is like the case for almost everybody one way to really stop this from happening is to equip your crews with 
cards and they have little QR codes on the cards. So at the end of the job, they say, yeah, we're going to leave a review. You show them that card and you say, okay, scan this. Well, that QR code, uh, once they scan it, that's going to take them straight to your Google review page. And all the five star stars will already be filled out. All they have to do is click submit as long as they are already logged into Google on their phone. This has drastically helped us a lot. Uh, so and so now we're not waiting because once once they say yes, they, they really mean it in the moment, but then life happens and they just don't get around to it and they forget about it. So this really helps them just to be like, okay, awesome. You're going to leave us a review. Here, you can scan this. It'll be super easy. So that's really helped. Um, another way is bi-weekly or every month, you know, go through all the jobs that you've completed and send each one individually a text. Uh, I actually have verbiage in my notes on my phone so I can just copy it and then paste it to all the people, which makes it way more easier than just sitting there all day, just writing up the same message over and over. And then in the, in the, in the wording, it will have the link as well to the Google and say, Hey, you know, thank you so much for being a great customer. We'd really like to hear your feedback. If you could please leave us a review at the link below. Okay. And then you copy and paste that to all the people every month that you've completed. And that has really helped uh, us obtain a lot more reviews as well. Because if you just ask for it nine times out of 10, you know, you're not going to really have a good chance of getting it. What is your uh, recipe for effective customer communication? And, and why is good customer communication so essential for a small business? So communication is, it is really crucial for a small biz- business. And it's a pretty simple answer to it. Answer your phone all the time. If you're away from your phone, you have missed calls, call back every single number. You know, I get told all the time, oh, you're the only person that called me back. And that's not how it should be. That might be why the other people that they call aren't super busy. But, you know, be on, you should always be on uh, top of your crew leaders to giving your customers updates throughout the entire job because customer communication is going to breed customer satisfaction. And then customer satisfaction is going to breed good reviews. Good reviews is going to, in return, get you more business and have people more comfortable with going with you for for the painting job. I used to get calls from my crew leaders actually all the time. And there'd be, uh, they'd ask me, they'd be like, hey, could you ask the customer to come outside? Because I don't know what color to paint this door or can you tell them I'm running five minutes behind you know those phone calls you know over time they would actually add up a lot and I'm like and I had a conversation with them and I told them you know you guys have their numbers customers numbers for a reason and all you're doing really is making more work for me to contact them when I'm have work to do as well. And it also helps out if not just one person is communicating with the customer and through the crews the entire time. When customers see you communicating with them as well as your crew leaders communicating with them, they really like that a lot more. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show we call our fan blitz questions. These come from our YouTube community. So again, check out Upflip on YouTube, youtube.com slash Upflip. Join the community and you can pose questions for future podcast guests. So for these, just quick uh, 10 second or so answers. Um, And here we go. Ian Billings is asking, how many employees does it take to hit 125K a month regularly? Probably once you start getting around 15 employees or 15 workers, you probably can start achieving that. London Underground Tube Trains is asking, uh, what payment terms do you do and 
Do you have any problems getting paid? Yeah, so we have a net 30 with residentials. They usually pay upon completion. With commercial projects, sometimes it takes 30, 60 days to get paid. Here's the thing. As long as you do a really good job and you're always there, if there's something goes wrong to uh, make sure that you fix it, you won't have a problem getting paid. I have never not gotten paid on a job. Born majors asking, what's a good starter kit of tools to do most jobs? Brush roller, drop cloth, ladder. Devin's World is asking, do you charge for materials? Technically, it's included in the price that I give, as well as taxes and paint. I don't write out estimates on how much labor cost is or how much material cost is or how much taxes is going to cost. I just give a, one overall price for the entire job. Service Industry Empire is asking, uh, what's your biggest obstacle? Hands down, it's going to be finding good, competent, and reliable, fast workers. What kind of uh, car do you drive? I have a Tesla Model Y and a uh, lifted Nissan, uh, Nissan Titan. What was the deciding moment in your previous job which made you say, yep, never doing this again? Working away from home for five weeks at a time. And last one here in our Fan Blitz questions. If there was a movie made about your journey, what would the title be? Uh, I'm going to steal Nike's slogan on this one. and It's going to be Just Do It. I love it. I love it. Again, those are our Fan Blitz questions. They come from our YouTube community. Check out youtube.com slash upflip and pose questions for future podcast guests. Joshua, just a few more questions from me here. How did you go about determining pricing for your services? And what what advice can you offer for a new painting business owner about deciding how much to charge? So there's great tools out there that can really help you out with this. But I would really advise starting out being very detailed and slowly doing your estimates to make sure that you are not overbidding or underbidding. You have to take in consideration everything you see, especially early on when you're not fresh or when you're fresh and you're new to bidding and how to write up estimates for painting. I actually did. I lost on a couple of jobs early on due to inaccurate estimations. You know, one, one job that I did, I probably, we worked for like three weeks and I probably paid out of pocket $600. So the $600 might not seem like a lot, but when you also lost three weeks of work where you were working for three weeks for free, it can actually be a make or break. The more research you do on painting, estimating, the better. You can read threads online, watch YouTube videos. There's so many threads where people are asking how much to charge for stuff. And you can really just dive in and do your research. And that's how I did it. And I was able to, you know, figure out how to estimate anything. So I would definitely say just do do, do your homework and read those threads. I'm curious about uh, suppliers as well, both for for equipment and for the paint itself. You've mentioned Sherwin Williams. Is Sherwin Williams the go to for pros? Um, and 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 or how did you arrive at that being the the place you go? Sherwin Williams for everything. It's, it's not for for most of everything. You know, it's 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 basically a one stop shop. If you tell people that you're using Bear a lot or any other manufacturing company, I don't know why, but Sherwin Williams is just brought up such a good reputation to the entire world that whenever somebody says, hey, what do you use? And I say, well, yeah, we use Sherwin Williams. They say, oh, thank goodness. Great. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. So I would definitely make sure that you use Sherwin Williams because that is the leading manufacturing company. And you can actually lose jobs by saying that you're using a different product. People just won't want to go with you. And I don't know why exactly that is besides their their uh, reputation, but that I've seen that uh, situation play out time and time again. Now I want to I want to talk about your your crew now. When did you bring on your first 
painter? So I brought on my first painter. He was actually a friend of mine. He didn't have any experience painting. I didn't have experience painting really when I first started my company, but I taught him what I knew at least for the six to eight months that I was painting by myself, you know, and he worked really good. I mean, now, now he owns his own company, his own painting company. He's doing really good for himself, but it was probably about four to six, I'd say four to six months into my painting that I needed to bring him on because I was getting job after job. And of course you want to get the jobs done quicker. So the more people you have, the more jobs you can do, as long as you can keep consistent. Now, once you're so booked up that you're not getting jobs because people aren't going with you, then it might be time to start hiring on more work for workers. And then how many how many people do you have working for you today? So currently I have uh, four steady crews. I have a fifth crew as well that I use for big uh, commercial projects. But each of them, each of the four crews has between three to five people in it. So I have around 15 people plus the commercial crew that I use. Have you found uh, hiring to be more of a challenge today than when you started? Oh yeah, absolutely. Much harder. Thankfully, you know, people call me a lot because of my reputation looking for work. So usually that's how I do my interviews is I just build them up, build that list up when people call me and I save them in. And then when we do need people, I will go through and set up interviews with them. But it's definitely harder now than it was before to find good workers and people that don't want $50 an hour. So painters are wanting a lot more now. I mean, I think in almost any industry, though, that is the case as well. What is the the going rate for a house painter? So the going rate right now, I mean, it, it used to be 15 an hour for a good painter. But now it's between 20 to 25 per hour. You know, I actually, I had a guy call me a while ago. He wanted $250 per day. All he did was prep work. He's like, I'm not going to paint though. I was like, okay, so what's going to happen when you're done prepping, you know, so obviously he didn't work out. But um, right now, I would say entry level with no experience at all, 15 to $18, good rate. A good painter that knows what they're doing, has a couple of years of experience under their belt, 18 to $21 per hour. And amazing painters, you know, that are super quick, competent, fast, know what they're doing, no drips, perfect cutting lines, 22 to 24. And then your most elite painters, you know, 25, 26 bucks. If you treat your painters right, they will stay. So if you find good painters and you want them to stay, just treat them right. I've seen other crews where the leader or some, they'll just yell at people all day. Nobody really wants to work in that environment. Treat your guys right, pay them good and pay them on time. Don't wait to pay them until you get paid. That's really how you're going to keep good painters because any good painter he knows that he has options and he'll go find something else if you treat him poorly or you don't pay him on time or you try to take advantage of him. Can you talk us through when you when you do bring in a new person to to one of your crews, what the what the training process is to bringing them on board? We really do try to hire workers with previous painting experience. So most of the time there really isn't training. There's a a tryout phase for us, but there's really not a training phase because if we need to train you, you know, that's really not the people that we're looking for. We're looking for painters, at least for for me, I'm looking for painters that are very good and know exactly what they're doing before I hire them on. So if I can put you on a job and I don't have to tell you what to do and you just do it, those are the painters that we are looking for. So uh, for me personally, there really isn't much training for us to do because we do try to hire the best of the best. 
And then your your painters are contractors rather than employees. Um, can is, you talk us through the advantages of that? Yeah, absolutely. The advantages of uh, having subcontractors rather than like employees is that you have somebody with skin in the game. Okay, basically, what I do is I find a really good subcontractor. I make sure that his whole crew is filled with great painters, okay? And we do only hire the best of the best for, 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 for their crews. But I used to have people and pay people day rate, right? Even if you're paying a manager a good day rate, you can pay him $50 an hour or you can pay him 500 bucks a day. It doesn't really matter. They're going to get complacent, okay? So, and then the lunches are going to get longer, the cleanup's not going to be as good. People are going to, they're going to be more relaxed on people taking a break because they don't have any skin in the game. They know what they're going to be paying and they know what they're going to be compensated at the end of the day. So if you have a crew where you pay or subcontractor, where you pay them a percentage, for me, I pay them a 70%. They pay for their labor. They pay for the materials. They pay for the paint. They have their own van. They pay for everything. They get 70%. And, you know, I get the other 30% for doing all of my work that I need to do with booking the jobs, advertising and all the networking and, and meetings and all of that emails. But that has somebody on the job site at all times that has skin in the game and will make sure that their guys aren't slacking off, aren't being rude or disrespectful while on the job site or being professional and they're doing a great job and they're getting the job done quick because the quicker they get the job done good though, not just sloppy, getting the job done sloppy, but getting the job done good, the quicker they're going to get paid and they can move on to the next job to get paid as well. So that's really been a key role to my success, I would say. I just want to ask about, about workplace safety and, and what precautions a painting business should and does put into place to prevent workplace injuries. And then also like how a workplace injury ultimately impacts the business and why those precautions are important. I've had, I think, only two injuries, really, in the seven years. Uh, I had someone burn themselves on a pressure washer because the pressure washer was hot and he put his hand on top of it. Obviously, that was a mistake that could have been avoided. Uh, and I had somebody fall off the ladder. Wasn't from super high up and, you know, only minor injuries. Thankfully, he was okay, you know. But safety is a big thing that everyone in any industry should always think about. The more you talk about safety to your uh, workers and your employees, the more it's going to be implanted in their heads and they're going to be more safe. So go over protocols and, you know, safety meetings definitely help, especially at the beginning of any commercial projects. And, you know, I'd rather a job take a little bit longer and my guys make it home safe for their families, you know, after work each day. If you're working out by a road or something like that, or in a parking lot, uh, say you're doing apartments, exterior of apartment building, and there's cars coming in, make sure you guys are wearing safety vests. You know, if your van's parked out on the middle of a busy road, make sure there's cones on both sides. So, you know, cars coming, don't swipe into your, uh, into the vehicle or your guys, you know, work on multiple levels, make sure they're wearing hard hats, safety boots and stuff like that. Uh, definitely take safety seriously because when somebody gets hurt on your job, you're the business owner. doesn't matter what happened. You are liable. Now, when you were getting started, uh, how did you gain the requisite experience to, to be painting professionally? How did you go about that process? Oh, yeah. So you, you might laugh at this, but it's, it's a thing that everybody has availability to do. It's called YouTube. So I would watch YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video on how to achieve great cutting lines, how to tape up windows, how to paint an exterior of the house, 
when I first started my painting company, I bought my paint sprayer. I never even used a paint sprayer before. I never even did an exterior house. But I dedicated myself to education via YouTube and books and going on to Sean Williams' website and trying to familiarize myself with all of their products. Everything's out there. <laughs> to, if you want to build a house, you can YouTube it, to be honest. like it, There's videos on how to do everything. And great painters post all the time on YouTube the best tips and tricks. So the more you go out of your way to try to find tips and tricks on how to do things and how to paint, that's really going to be beneficial for anybody getting into the painting industry. And that's new is just to dedicate hours and hours of time just to be watching those educational painting videos. What's the biggest challenge you're facing as a business owner today? Finding and maintaining good workers for the crews, definitely. I mean, right now we're pretty solid, but when people uh, stop working, they move away or they just go try to start their own company. Nowadays, it's it's really hard because uh, get people on. We pay them good because they are good workers. They should be getting paid good. But at the same time, they a lot, a lot of times we have people that work with us and then they stop working with us because they go off and start their own company. And now we have to go try to find someone to replace them. And it's kind of a vicious cycle. It happens all the time. And I have to respect that because I'm a business owner myself. I wouldn't want to be a painter for somebody getting paid hourly either. But that would be the biggest challenge that I personally, as a business owner, am facing is to keep good workers when people go off and try to start their own business. What kind of a a storefront do you maintain? How many locations do you have? To be totally honest, uh, unless you're selling a product, uh, we don't we don't have a storefront. So I have an office that I'm in like all the time, um, but it's not a storefront per se. We have expanded to Daytona. We're trying to start going to Tampa soon as well. So really, it's just more marketing in those areas, but from one centralized location. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. And and so can you kind of talk about the cost of maintaining those locations and, and why that is worth the investment? Whenever you're going into a new location, you are starting fresh, okay? It means people really don't know who you are, your company, you know, if you start a new Google business page in a new location, well... The one that you currently have might have two, three hundred, you know, reviews, five star reviews, but the new location is going to have zero. So you really do have to put in a lot of money for advertising, just like you would do if you were starting up anywhere. It's pretty much almost like starting up, except for you do have a little bit of uh, support because you do have your first location. I'm going to be trying to put in each location about a thousand to two thousand dollars a month into direct advertising and doing the same thing that I had to do in the beginning. You have to you have to go back to going to all those Sherwin Williams, getting everyone to know who you are, handing out cards, doing networking events now in those areas because all the people that you network over here to they're just in this this one area, but they're not over in you know like they don't hurt the Tampa area, you know, because we're in Orlando. So now you have to build your brand in a new area and it's going to be time consuming and it's going to be a challenge. But, you know, as long as you're up for it and you put your mind in, into it, I think that anyone would be able to you know, succeed. What's one mistake that you see other painter startups make that prevents them from being successful? And what, what should they be doing instead? So my, my first Sherwin Williams rep that I ever had he sat me down and we had a meeting, first meeting when I opened up the account at Sharon Williams. And uh, he said something to me that I'll never forget. 
And I have been using this and going off this for the entirety of my company. What he said to me is, he said, Josh, I have met a lot of great painters, okay? But they're never busy. It's like the reason why they're never business is because they're great painters, but they're not great businessmen. He said, I've met great businessmen that are always busy, but they're always getting complaints or they're not doing great work. The work's shoddy. The customers aren't happy. All right. But they're good businessmen. So they're able to do that. So what I feel like I have done, and I, I took that the first day he said that. And I said, well, I don't want to be either of those people because I want to be a great painter and I want to be a great businessman at the same time. So one big mistake that I think painters make is that they go in and they think as long as they can paint good, that they're just going to get jobs. I mean, they might get some, but it's not going to keep them consistent the majority of the time. They forget about the marketing, the networking, the meeting, the group, the handing out business cards to everyone you meet, going out to Sharon Williams and making your face known saying, Hey, you know, we're here for you. If you have any customers that are looking for someone, let us know. They forget about all of that. And they just when they get a job, they do the job, they do a great job. But then once they don't have anything to do, they don't go out and they don't do anything. They just wait for the phone to ring. So that would probably be the biggest mistake that I think painters make is not putting in all the effort, not to only just the painting, but to the marketing and building the company. What's the biggest mistake that you feel like you've made as a business owner? And like, if you could, is there anything you would do differently if you could go back and start again? Honestly, there hasn't, I mean, there's, I'm not saying that I haven't made a mistake because I'm sure I've made plenty, but I don't think that there's anything really mistake that I've made that would have hurt my company. And I feel like I'm, I've done such a good job and my company is in a good spot where it is. I don't think that there's anything that I regret that I have done or anything that I would do differently. What's your favorite business book and why? I really liked, uh, and I read this before I even started my painting company, and it's really motivated me a lot, but it's called The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. And that book's always uh, stuck with me. He's very inspirational and he just has great ideas. The number one thing that I took away from the book is his uh, his idea of that you want to make your company, you want to work your company up to be able to run like a fine-tuned machine. That means that all parts are working together smoothly, all oiled and lubed up, and it's just running super smooth. You know, if you have one thing that's that's off, it's not running like a fine-tuned machine. It's not running at its full potential. So I really took that into consideration with my company, and I've always tried to create that system that I told you about uh, and find new ways to make everything simple, the more simplicity, you know, and run like a fine-tuned machine. So that was definitely the best uh, book that I've read business-wise. Joshua, one last question here. Where can people learn more about you and The Painter's Touch? Uh, We are on Facebook. Uh, We are on Google. Google us. Go on to our website. It's a painterstouchllc.com. You have my phone numbers on there, emails, everything. Everything's on there as well. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the Upflip Podcast. Make sure you check out our blog where you can find more actionable advice on starting a business from scratch and growing it to six figures and beyond. It is upflip.com slash blog, or you can click the link in the description below. Joshua Douglas of A Painter's Touch, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex.